0: Welcome to Anecdotal Notes. I'm your host, Pat Aiken, James Patrick Aiken, if you're looking me up. Uh, Let me uh, say a little bit. Steve's not here again, but Steve will be back on the next episodes. So uh, say a word for Steve. He's suffered, uh, not only (coughs) does Steve have uh, real issues with the the spring and the pollen and stuff, but he's also working. Uh, really hard. Steve's uh, a very, very uh, great mechanic and very interested into classic cars and uh, muscle cars and uh, those sorts of things, but he has a job and, you know, you get older and you don't bounce back from eight hours of labor like you did and especially you don't if you're sick. So, just remember Steve out there because he's going to be back and uh, I miss him. I miss uh, having my bud here with me to uh, talk these things over. But that's okay. You know, there's a bump in the road. We're gonna we're gonna do okay. Uh, <clears throat> Mailbag. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, thank you for the letters and the emails that uh, we've got. You know, of course we we get some cranks and you know I don't care. Uh, that just goes into file 13 basically and. But, you know, every once in a while, uh, you get a letter from somebody and it's really appreciated. And and I appreciate the the people locally who say a good word because, you know, this is just out here to be fun, to explore, to uh, take up an hour of your time, to uh, broaden your horizons, to think about, you know, these unexplained uh, things in our world, unexplained phenomena. And forgive me, I don't mean to sniffle, but guys, uh, it's like a, uh, a, a pine pollen uh, snowstorm outside essentially. And uh, there's an, I don't think there's enough Flonase uh, in the world right now to uh, stop this deluge of pollen. So just bear with me. Uh, did get a letter back in response. Um, to the show on the djinn. And uh, the letter comes from Saudi Arabia. It says, Dear Sir, I have enjoyed listening to your show. I especially enjoyed listening to your show on the djinn. I live in Saudi Arabia and I want to reassure you that the Jin are very real. They live among us and they do interact with us. Sometimes they are good, sometimes they are bad. He goes on to uh, say a couple of things. Then he shares a story. He says, I saw a djinn once when I was a child. I was in the far desert. And I'm assuming he was in the far desert of Saudi Arabia. We were near the city of Wadi ad Dawasir or Dawassal and had stopped for a restroom break. I was out of our Land Rover and had walked over to an old deserted building. I looked inside the building and saw a very tall, strange man, but he looked too big and different. His face was strange. I watched him for a minute or two. He was counting something in the palm of his hand. Then He stopped. He looked up at me, smiled, and disappeared. I smelled like hot metal in the air. Then I ran back to my parents. I was so scared. I told my father, and he wasn't surprised at all. He said I had seen a gin, and that gin are seen in deserted places this was my encounter i was eight years old i believe in the jinn ahmad basri el muhammad so thank you uh mr muhammad for your letter and obviously we'll take into account your uh encounter uh, you know with the jinn uh Personally, you know, un- I've had a couple of things in my life. I kind of envy you in a way because you've seen with your own eyes something that, uh, you know, personally I would love to see. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm torn. I don't know about you, listener, but you know, the the Bigfoot footprint cast I made—that's that's pretty uh, enough in, on some level because you know I'm I'm very much a a grounded, logical sort of person. I like, uh, you know, understanding the world and then you throw these these monkey wrenches into the works and, you know, it can be disquieting sometimes, uh, wondering, you know, what's around the next corner. But then again, you know, I'm torn. It's like that. It's like, okay, well, but what adventure awaits me next as I go around this corner? Here's another letter Uh, a gentleman writes in it's rather lengthy but um, he says that essentially um, that he thinks a baby Bigfoot is near his home in Texas he says he's seen a large black and white uh, Chimp-like creature that is following his uh, car around or chases his car. That's what this says. Got this as a letter, a handwritten letter. Chases his car when he goes to and from his uh, horse barn. So I don't know. This is somewhere out in... uh, I didn't look it up. I'm remiss. I should have looked up the exact location, but this just came in and I picked it up. Sir, I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, there are lots of East Texas Bigfoot organizations and uh, I'm uh, we're in Georgia. You know, I would strongly just suggest that you uh, go on the internet and look up Texas Bigfoot research and maybe have those folks come down and take a look at uh, on scene at what you're dealing with. Uh, are there, yes, I've, uh, there are uh, accounts of uh, chimp-like Bigfoot creatures. Smaller, not quite the the huge Patterson Gimlin style creature, but somewhat smaller and thinner. Uh, more chimp-like, uh, but also on the other hand, these things are also Apparently, the smaller they are, the more aggressive they are. So, you know, I don't know. That's my suggestion to you, sir. You know, you say you listen. Uh, I appreciate you participating and writing in, but, you know, there's no way we're going to be able to meet or fulfill your obligation. Uh, You're three states away from us. Talk to the folks uh, out in Texas. There's some good uh, folks, some good investigators out there that... uh, And I'm not going to call any particular group's name because I've got acquaintances through all of these groups. And I just, you know, I don't think you'd be, you know, wrong. But uh, anyway, just go ahead and uh, give them a call. And I'm going to keep your stuff confidential because you said that you wanted to keep your name confidential. So you take it upon yourself and I won't. I won't say anything to anybody if they uh, contact me. This is up to you, sir. I would suggest you not get out of the car. I'll just say that. I believe I would. Uh, if this thing is aggressive enough that it's chasing after your car, uh, you know, I don't know. I've never heard of a Bigfoot chasing a car like a, you know, a German Shepherd or something. So. Uh, what's it after? I mean, I know I've seen, I've heard of them throwing rocks at cars. I've heard of them beating and hitting cars. You know, is it just the car that's causing this behavior, or is it trying to get to you? Uh, I don't know. So, like I said, you just need to uh, contact some folks in your vicinity. There are plenty of folks out there that are willing to come out and uh, help you. I would uh, also ask, uh, well, not ask, let me share... That perhaps you should take extra care of your horses uh, during this time if one of these things has uh, decided to to inhabit or haunt the area of your horse barn. Uh, Bigfoots, uh, big feet, whatever you want to call them, they have a bad track record of interactions with large animals uh, up to and including eating them. But also uh, some accounts from different horse farms, different places of these things, sexually molesting your mares. So, you know, if I were you, I might uh, definitely take some extra precautions when I'm at the horse barn. And you might want to stable and uh, secure your horses as well. I'm not certain I would leave them out to pasture to overnight or anything until this issue is resolved alright let's turn to this you know lots uh, the wonderful thing about a show like this is that you start getting interaction from people people start listening people start getting interested and they start sharing their stories and uh you know a very interesting phenomena now I have never myself personally encountered the phenomena but uh I envy those that have simply because I think it would be a wonderful experience on a certain level to see um, some of the reported aerial creatures that uh, are reported by people. And when I say aerial, I mean like uh, winged humanoids, pterodactyls, thunderbirds, uh, you know, I've seen some really big turkey buzzards in my life. I've seen some buzzards that, uh, from a distance, appear to be two, two and a half feet tall from the ground. And in the sky, they they can be very impressive, you know, if they wing over you or whatever, if you startle them. Uh, but never have I seen uh, a pterodactyl or a winged humanoid like... Uh, a la the Mothman up in West Virginia, something that um, seemingly is a, a human type of body with wings attached to it. Sometimes they're described with heads, no heads. Sometimes, uh, you know, they're wearing uh, like uniforms, clothing. Sometimes they've been depicted, you know, with like goggles on and. I don't know. I mean, it's just a very interesting uh, phenomena to me that people repeatedly report these things. Now, I'm not going to call the source, but it is a credible source. Uh, right now, apparently, in the uh, area north of us, of my location, they have, uh, they have been reports... Of people seeing pterodactyl. Several reports, in fact, from credible witnesses, according to the source that I'm. Uh, obviously, I'm gonna leave. I did not ask permission. I'm not, you know, gonna cite the source uh, on the program. But the person who relayed the information is very uh, trustworthy. And, you know, they're taking the report it's like anything else you you take the report and you talk to the witness and you have to leave it to the judgment of the investigator whether or not the report was credible and this person believes that the report was credible so you know maybe right now if you're in the southern appalachian mountains you might ought to pay attention to the sky because apparently there's reports that uh, we've got some stuff going on out there uh, I don't you know I don't know the the best source and we're going to talk about uh, these winged beings today uh, I'm a great fan of John a keel and John Keel, uh, to my mind was probably one of the prior to his death. He was one of the the most open-minded researchers into the uh, unknown. Uh, you know, he 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 set the precedent I think in my life because when I first had my situation, uh, you know, you you talk to people and unfortunately, the, the people are can be can be very close-minded and. Sometimes they're so close-minded they can't see that their own theory is as ludicrous, you know, as what, you know, the theory that they're batting down or saying is ridiculous to them. You know, and it's really hard to try to convey information or or to share information when the person is, you know, telling you repeatedly, no, 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 that's that's not possible. That's not possible. That's not possible. Well, you know, what is impossible? I, don't, I just don't see the world that way. I don't think we have enough grasp. I think man deludes himself into thinking that our command of science is such now that we can just out and out preclude uh, something as, as not being a tangible possibility. I think that's wrong. I think the truth is that, you know, we do have some command of the the basic understanding of what the world is and what the world's about. But I also think that there's an edge, a fringe out there that we have no idea what lies beyond the next mountain range. You know, in the, the Middle Ages, a lot of times on sea charts... They would have the the area that had been charted, that people had traveled. Then they'd have the open sea. And in some of the charts on the far side, it would say something like, there be monsters here. Well, you know, there may be monsters here. We don't know. We don't know the edge of what reality is. And I'm not going to preclude that... uh, with things taking place in our world as rapidly as they are. Uh, you know, we've created a very interesting situation on our planet in the last 25 years. And what do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is this. With the advent of the home computer, and then with the cell phone, and then compound it with the smartphone, we are absolutely inundating our planet With electromagnetic spectrum. There may be a few places uh, in the world where you can't get some kind of cell phone signal, but I don't think ever in the history of our species have we absolutely deluged the planet with electromagnetic waves like we are now. I think that. Earlier in the century, we had radio, we had television, but those were more localized um, in scope. And most intercontinental radio prior to that was through the usage of shortwave and longband radio waves, using the ionosphere to bounce the wave off to reach over the horizon. But never the absolute level Of EMF pollution that we have now. There are EMF fields everywhere. Where I'm at right now, the computer, you know, my telephone, the Wi Fi signal, I'm sitting here, I can't perceive it or see it, but I'm absolutely deluged with electromagnetic fields right here, you know, where I'm recording. So imagine on a global scale the effect that the the just the mass of every continent to some degree especially in the northern hemisphere but everybody has a cell phone now everybody lots of people have smartphones uh, just having a cell phone to pass even you know oldsters and I'm a I, I, Sad to say, I'm fast approaching oldsterism, but you know, even the folks that don't want a smartphone, they still have some source of communication like a flip phone. And that's not even counting everybody has now Wi Fi, most everybody has some sort of computer system. So <clears throat> imagine the effect on our planet. The electromagnetic field which naturally occurs on our planet and this pollution that's essentially being kept within our atmosphere. Some leaks out, some goes into space. I mean, you know, if, if I were making this on a radio recording on short wave, I would broadcast it. But then those radio waves would move out at the speed of light into space. And something that I recorded 20 years ago would still be traveling at the speed of light. 20 years or 20 years that it would take uh, on our planet, chronological years, that wave's still traveling out there. So, you know, what effect is this having on our planet? What is this doing to us as people, as a species? And is, you know, when you inundate a planet which basically moves and exists through electromagnetism, because we all have an electronic signal in our body, causes our heart to beat, we use it, you know, to uh, sense our sense of touch or nervous system it's all electronically based what effect is this going to have on the very fabric of our reality yes I'm hey I'm spitballing out here today Uh, I'm just throwing these ideas out here today what is this doing to us and you know I don't know if you've noticed but These incidents are increasing, not algebraically, but geometrically. As we get more and more technology and we become more and more dependent upon cell phones and computers and we pollute the atmosphere in our planet with these signals, It seems like there are a lot more incidents of paranormal phenomena taking place. Now, I have a theory, but it's not necessarily directly related to this. And I think I'm going to wait. I'm going to do a show. We're going to do a show about it when I get Steve back. But there's an interrelatedness between the increase in spiritual and paranormal activity. And our march towards um, technology. And you know sometimes I wonder uh, that we are essentially building ourselves a cage on this planet with our ability to communicate and surveil and to uh, record everything it's it's interesting it's it's a dilemma really you know i read the other day uh, china had invested 600 million dollars in more surveillance in their country and essentially their country's probably at this point right now the most surveilled through electronic devices country on the planet Uh, you know if you use the internet in China you are being watched they also have millions now of cameras on their streets over there they're going to increase this Okay, they're going to double the capacity if I understand correctly and they're talking about scoring citizens according to their behavior which means that You know, if your score is low, then you don't get fast Internet. You may not be able to travel abroad. You may not be able to access uh, privileges within the country because the government deems that you're not as um, good a citizen as you could be. So this is just something It's a thought for you to think about because, you know, I don't know about you, but I I was born and raised in the United States, and I believe in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, and I think everybody has uh, inalienable rights bequested and given to them uh, by God. So, you know, what does this mean? We're doing this, we're creating this atmosphere on our own planet, and how does this atmosphere interrelate with the increase that we're seeing among paranormal activity now one story springs to mind and I'm not I don't have the the reference for it I read it on the internet can't uh attest to the validity of it but it was an interesting story it was a lady alone hiking and she stopped to rest she was in an area Uh, According to uh, the story, had a lot of granite, a lot of flint, quartz. And anyone who's ever dealt with uh, shortwave radio or ham radio like I have, they can tell you that you can tune crystals to specific frequencies. Crystals can store energy. Crystals can release energy. Uh, But she was in the area with a a high... uh, concentration of quartz she stops she takes a rest and then she observes coming down the trail towards her what appeared to be a very large cat and when i say large i mean like african lion or larger sized cat she froze she, you know then she 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 didn't know what to really do because Obviously, a person unarmed uh, is not going to be able to deal with an African lion or anything like that, really, honestly. But as the creature, the cat, approached her, she began to make out more specific detail, and she swore in her uh, account that it was a Pleistocene creature that it was in fact a saber-toothed tiger. She said it got closer it got closer and then it went by her as if she weren't even sitting there and she watched it essentially go by her and then it began to fade and it faded out of existence. <laughs> now it could be just a great campfire story okay I wasn't there, can't say. But let's suppose, for an instance, that we saw something from the past intrude on present time. Now I know that's a big pill to swallow, and it, it, in certain ways, it flies in the face of of most orthodox scientific thought. But We think of time, the regular average person, because we live our lives in a chronological manner, we think of time as being point A to point Z. I get up in the morning, I eat my breakfast, I watch TV, I get in the car, I drive to work, I work. Everything is linear. But I don't think time is linear. I think time is better uh, understood in the form of a big box, and in the box you've got many uh, parallel times, time uh, signatures, lines, and each one being independent of the other. Think of it this way, think of it as a phonographic record, those of you guys that are old enough to remember the old 33 LPs, you can put the needle of the uh, play arm down on the edge of the record, and if left alone, it will begin the first song, you know, depending upon how many tracks you had, it might have six tracks on one side, six musical tracks. If left alone it will play through the record but at any time if you had the power you can lift the arm of the phonograph needle and move it to an earlier track now that's a deep thought but let's suppose that right now spinning time is spinning like that record And each of us, if we had the power, could lift the arm of that needle, of that phonograph needle, and move it to an earlier place or a future place on the track record of time. Like having coordinates and being able to dial in a GPS in a three or four dimensional sense to a specific location within... The contained context of what you perceive as time. So, suppose the lady were sitting there, we see the saber-toothed tiger stroll along, and what she's really seeing is a weakness in the fabric of time. Suppose Just for that instant, she was at the right place at the right time, and through whatever release of energy in the quartz area, things got thin, and she was able to see something that happened 10,000 years ago take place. She saw a saber-toothed tiger out hunting in an area where they naturally hunted, because the area she reported... Would have had Pleistocene type animals and predators. So we've got, you know, a tiger walking along. He's hunting for some prey item out there. And she just happened to be at the right place at the right time and saw this take place. All right. So what does this have to do with the price of beans? Well, what it has to do with the price of beans is this. If you watch, And if you pay attention to the broad picture, if you believe in the field theory, gestalt, 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 however you want to pronounce it, that there is an interconnectedness between everything. Jung talked about this to a lesser degree of being different levels of our consciousness, a dark side, a light side, but in a real space-time fabric sense, we're all interrelated. We're all living in an ongoing electromagnetic field. And why would we assume that just because we don't perceive and understand uh, how the process happens, that the earth itself doesn't have a memory? You know, we see things and we remember things. We do this by engramming the experiences into The storage areas of our brain through the means of electromagnetism. So why in the world would we preclude the possibility that you know the earth itself may have the ability to remember. Now of course I'm speaking not in scientific terms I'm speaking in very broad terms and obviously there would have to be some empirical basis in science as to why a lady would see a saber tooth tiger walk along a forest path in relatively modern day America. But it's something to think about. <clears throat> and I also have noticed a correlation between the geologic deposits in places where these sorts of events happen, places where they see like winged pterodactyls. I have no cogent explanation for the winged beings. Okay, but I can say uh, I'm fairly convinced that there's an interaction between the geology of the areas where these winged prehistoric creatures and other creatures appear and disappear. Because if she were going to tell a story, it would be a much better story if it were some uh, modern animal, something that would have gone extinct in the last century or something it had been much more believable than her reaching into the grab bag and pulling out a creature which ceased to exist 10,000 years ago maybe a little later maybe 8,000 dependent upon you know what you believe so let's turn um, I wanted to reference uh, a story that uh about birdmen, and this is from page 237 of the complete guide to mysterious Beating, beings by John A. Kill highly recommend the book uh, obviously Mr. Kill has passed away but I'm sure his estate uh, would appreciate you buying the book but it, the book in and of itself is a very good book and it really covers a broad spectrum of unexplained phenomena and I feel like uh, Mr. Kiel, uh in his genius, put things together very well. And like I said, just a good book, you know. If you can get it, get it, read it. Uh, the story begins, it says, On Tuesday, January 6, 1948, Mr. Bernard Zykowski of Chehalis, Washington, heard a sizzling and whistling noise. Mrs. Bernard Zakowski. she looked up and saw a man flying about 200 feet above her barn. He appeared to be equipped with large silver wings held onto his body by straps, and he seemed to be manipulating some kind of controls on his chest. After hovering and maneuvering for a few seconds, he shot upwards, and his wings retracted close to his body as he rose. They did not flap in flight. I know most people don't believe me, Mrs. Zakowski said later, but I have talked to some people in Chalice who tell me they saw the man too, and that he flew south from Chalice and apparently came in from the north or west. It continues, it was about 3 p.m. on Tuesday after New Year's Day and there were a lot of small children coming home from school at the time. They saw the man too and asked if they could go into my backyard so they could watch him longer as he flew towards the south end of the city. A report in Portland's Oregon Journal, January 21st, 1948, added Police Chief Tom Murray declined to investigate. And having been a policeman, I can promise you that uh, that's, a, uh, that's a whole nother kettle of fish when you start writing reports like this. An Army official <coughs> pardon me, at McCord Field commented that it sounded like one of those saucer deals, I just can't put any stock in it at all. Now, that's, you know, from the last century. I don't know. Like I said, I have to think and consider. And you know what? I reserve the right on this podcast to ponder and to say I don't have an explanation for winged humanoids. But I do honestly believe that people are seeing something. Uh, The Mothman up in Virginia, West Virginia, is well documented. And in that case, you've got dozens and dozens of witnesses who encountered this creature. And some of them said they thought it was an army experiment. Some thought it was a spiritual being. But... Either way, the, the bridge, the silver bridge collapsed, cost all those lives. And <clears throat> Kill himself received some harassment uh, for investigating the phenomena during the time frame. Uh, and, you know, we, we could get into a lot of UFO stuff with this too, uh, but we, we're just not going to have time to do that today. But I think, honestly, if we we suppose that we have all the explanations, we're essentially shooting ourselves in the foot. And we need to uh, think in broader terms when we're investigating these things. Here's another one uh, from the same book. I just picked out some of these because... I wanted uh, to share some of the the more bizarre things that people have reported. This is on page 314 of the same book by John Keel. It says, other forms of saurians have been spotted throughout South America. In 1922, after dwellers in the Andes Mountains reported seeing a plesiosaur-like creature near a lake, An expedition from the Buenos Aires Zoo searched for it in vain. In 1933, an adventuresome Swede claimed he fired shots at a 20-foot-long dinosaur-like beast into Mato Grasso. Another such creature was spotted near Lake Winbu in Tibet in the 1980s. A dinosaur is said to have run a car off the road in Texas in the early 1970s. Around the same time that people in the Italian Alps were chasing a similar creature. I mean, are there really dinosaurs out there? I mean, I think I would have noticed uh, if T Rex was wandering around, you know. And, you know, we did one uh, a show on the Altamaha. In 1954, the fishing trawler *Rival* picked up an unusual sonar signal while crossing the lake. And they're talking about uh, Loch Ness. Something huge was swimming along at a depth of 540 feet. was too big and too fast for an ordinary fish. The sonar was in perfect working order, and the signal that bounced back was apparently accurate and legitimate. There have been other sonar returns since. In 1960, a group of signals indicated that as many as five monsters were moving about under the lake. That was also the year in which Tim Dinsdale photographed a blob churning up Loch Ness. Now, the famous photograph by the surgeon has been debunked. It was a submarine with uh, a dinosaur neck and head attached to it. And it fooled people for a long time, but the truth finally came out with that and you know, it was a hoax, but it does, to me, you know, one person discounting or saying, well, this was a hoax, doesn't disprove an entire phenomena. You know, people copy and emulate uh, these unexplained phenomena. I mean, the motivations, who knows, myriad motivation for bringing attention to themselves and doing that. I don't know. That depends on the person, but just because we have... One thing that's disproven shouldn't discount all the other accounts that we, you know, we receive of these uh, unexplained creatures. I just think it's it's pretty odd um, these days that uh, we're starting to see uh, more and more dinosaur-type encounters and reports of encounters from people. And I think that there is a scientific explanation for this. You know, apart from the the skeptical, which is, you know, the person's on some sort of psychotropic drug and they have hallucinated it. But when you've got people who are are well-grounded people, you know, church deacons, preachers, police chiefs, people who, you know... They have no history of any kind of hallucinogenic drug abuse. You know, person is you know, a well-thought-of member of the community has everything to lose by even coming forward with a story. When that person feels motivated enough that they're going to share the story with you, you have to pause and say, something's out there, something's going on. This person is now trying to make sense of what they've seen. And, you know, I've gone through this experience myself. And, you know, people, people can be harsh and people can ridicule you and say all sorts of things. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, all of that fades away. You don't care what people think. But you're left with the unexplained event. A pterodactyl, by the way, is not a small creature. We're talking about something that had like a 30, 40 foot wingspan, and you know were aggressive enough that they think all of this is theory from paleontologists. But you know would would fly to the ground and attack things because they had huge teeth-filled. Uh, I don't know, a proboscis, a beak, uh, a mouth because it was reptilian in origin. So, you know, we're not talking about something, we're talking about something the size of a, a, a small like Cessna 152 size airplane flying around. And I know that, you know, your location and perspective can play tricks on you, but <clears throat> somebody saw something that was obviously not an airplane. It's just food for thought today. Keep your eyes on the skies, as they say. Right now, apparently in this area, that's uh, I haven't heard of anything from my area here, but they are reports are trickling in of uh, these creatures being in the skies. Uh, I get to hear anything about a saber-toothed tiger, uh, but you know who knows what you may encounter around the next corner. It's an odd, fascinating world that we live in. And I think that uh, Kiel said it best, and I'm going to end up with this passage from 326, 327, 328, and leave you with this today. And this is from John A. Keel. Particle physics and modern astronomy are bringing us closer to the once far away truth. And they are. You know, we're making headway into areas which were once beyond our comprehension. There may be nothing out there at all except deep blackness as we plunge towards some unknown destination surrounded by the glimmerings of an ancient and lost universe. We are corporeal cells and find it hard to visualize energy forms, invisible to our limited perceptions, capable of toying with our electrical brain circuits and instilling upon us those phantasms. Occasionally we glimpse the lights and shadows of their world. We accept old red eyes with the same feared misinterpretations that we apply to ghosts, goblins, and aliens from spaceships that dissolve in front of us. There is nothing in space but blackness and nothing but carefully scrambled signals in our discombobulated minds. To keep us going in what is basically a sad, hopeless situation, we need belief. We need to believe that man is more important than the cockroach and that we will fulfill some terribly important destiny. The frivolous entities that dance all around us have been supplying us with such beliefs for thousands of years, while setting absurd rules for the games they play. But remember, they must also share our fate. If the world ends, they will end too. If we set off our atomic bombs, the creatures composed of energy will be fissioned and fusion first. This could be why blinding balls of light have constantly appeared over nuclear facilities and military installations. They don't trust us even though a segment of our population worships them. There are entities on this planet and around it that are far beyond all efforts to translate them into understandable cellular creatures. They are not real in the sense that we are animals motivated by sex and emotions. They are part of the energies that were scattered into space billions of years ago Their intelligence is so vast and so ruthlessly inhuman, there is no way for us to comprehend it or communicate with it as we talk to dolphins. In the beginning of this book, we said that someone within 200 miles of your home, no matter where you live on this earth, has had a direct, often terrifying, personal confrontation with a shape-shifting unbelievable. Our world has always been occupied by these things. We are just passing through. Belief or disbelief will come to you from another direction. Next week, next month, or next year, you may be driving along a deserted country road late at night, and you round a bend, you will suddenly see. And with that note, thank you for listening to Anecdotal Notes. And... Keep your eyes open out there, folks. It's a really strange world out there. A lot of stuff goes on. And, you know, feel free to contact us, talk to us, write us a letter. We appreciate you guys that uh, have written letters and sent emails. Thank you to our listeners in general. If you just enjoy the show, you know, thank you because it's great. To share this information and to discuss these things with you and to work together towards perhaps an insolvable mystery, but it's still wonderful uh, to share the time with you each week and to delve into these things because we don't know what's out there. And Lord knows I don't. I have an idea, but. Who knows? Anyway, thank you very much for listening. And uh, I hope you'll tune in next week for our next show. And let's hope we get Steve back on his feet and return to us on anecdotal notes. Thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful week. With the Lucky Land sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere.